<laughs> All right. Well, good morning. How are you? Doing good. It's great to see snow this morning. Um, and again, if you're here for the uh, first time, thank you so much for showing up. If you're online, thank you for being online. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, so we're, let's get into this. We're going to start kind of a new series. We're going to go into the Christmas season. And today, at the beginning, you're going to be like, that's not Christmas, but it actually is. And the title of my message for today is How to Ruin Christmas. It's how to ruin Christmas. And uh, again, and we're also, obviously, the, the counter to that is how to make Christmas good. And so I always start out, uh, it seems like lately on this uh, Christmas season, with the, the beauty of Christmas is actually the reality of hell. Like for me, the older I get and the closer I get to the finish line, the closer I get to heaven, the more I think I appreciate the fact that Jesus died for my sins. And that when I accepted him as my savior, that, that hell became just a, a distant thing for me, that I don't have to spend eternity there. And I get to spend eternity in heaven simply because of what Jesus did. And so in, in essence, Jesus was born to die. He was born in order to die on a cross for me. And for me, that's a thankful thing. I can wake up every day saying, I got a second chance at life. Like my sins were taking me in the wrong direction. Jesus forgave me of those sins. And so that's what the beauty of Christmas is to me. And I, and I really believe that the moment we slip into eternity in heaven is when we will realize how amazing of a sacrifice it was that Jesus did for us. I, I think the best thing that a person could do is get dangled over hell for about three seconds, right? To, to really know what we're missing, like the intensity of it. And so again, with that today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, you need to, to go to heaven. I mean, he offered this amazing gift. And so for me, that's the beauty of Christmas is the thankfulness. Um, and again, it kind of sounds a little bit morbid, but Jesus came to save us from the penalty of our sins. To make this real, let's say you get an IRS bill this next year for $100,000 and you only made 40. So there's a problem, yeah. but the IRS says you owe it. And so they're like, my, I'm gonna lose my house, I'm gonna lose everything. But somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm gonna pay you, free and clear, there's no strings attached, I'm gonna pay your IRS bill. How many of you would rejoice with that? Amen. Like you would be a little, you'd be like, yeah, right, you would have this amazing thing. Well, we're saved from something much worse than the IRS. And think the moment that you pass on, you don't have to pay taxes anymore. <laughs> there's no taxes in heaven, that's good, right? So what is a season promoted as, as we get into the Christmas? What, what is it promoted as? You hear a lot of things. You see a lot of happiness. You see peace on earth, goodwill toward men, family, food, fun, gifts, happiness, joy. And we have in our minds what we want it to look like, but the reality is most people have stress and debt and sadness and family fights and a lot of things, right? And so how do we as a Christian not fall into the latter? Because perspective is really the problem. That's really what it is. Because what you see isn't always what is. And I believe, especially around the Christmas time, that we need to, to look deeper than what we can see into people's lives. There's a lot of people, even in our own church family, that are going through a really hard time right now. And there might be a kind of a smile on the outside. And sometimes we go, man, they kind of have an attitude, right? And, and you don't know what they're going, what's going on on the inside of them because what you see isn't always what is. What's on the outside isn't always what is on the inside. Now, before I do this, I got to look at my wife. With that, oh, she giggled. Um, you guys are dismissed. You've learned enough already. Um, what you see isn't always what it is because I don't have to just be mean Stan. I can be fun Stan too. You like that? Now, there we go. Now, my, I'm getting cat called by male voices if you're not um, here. 
but they're good friends of mine. So this is to prove that I can be the Christmas spirit because it's a stretch for me to, to dress. Did you want more of that, uh, Amber? Um, it's a, it's a stretch for me to, to dress this way. It really is because I'm like not doing it, not doing it. Um, and then my wife looks at me and has a shirt. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. All right. And so, babes, thanks for the amazing shirt. All right. So this is fun, Stan. I just told you about hell. Now I get to tell you about heaven. So there was serious Stan with a tie and there's fun Stan with a shirt. All right. So let's get into this. Perspective is really, really important. Now, uh, hear me closely. I'm not downplaying loss. Like I said, some of you have gone through some recent loss with, with family, and, and, and it's a hard time. And I want to tell you, it's not lack of faith to be sad. It's not lack of faith to hurt. That hurt is part of how God made us when we lose. And so I will tell you this, right? It's going to be hard, but you will make it. You will get through it, and God will use it. Now, you, we, may, we may go to heaven with that, lo- that feeling of loss, but what I don't want to do is I don't want a, a loss you know, uh, in your life to devastate you forever. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. He's going to help us through it. He'll help you through it. He'll get you strength. Um, you need to take that time to grieve, right? But I don't want it to affect you negatively the rest of your life. There's some way we got to pull through these things. Um, and a lot of it, again, is just a perspective that, hey, it only gets better for the Christian. Amen? It only gets better for us. I mean, heaven awaits us, and it's a great thing. And so I'm going to talk about a story today that you're going to be like, this has nothing to do with Christmas. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die. He's he's on his way to fulfill a purpose that he was born for, which, again, starting next week, we'll get into the birth of Jesus and and that whole story. But I I think I wanted to start off this series with a a perspective that, that we need to be thankful we need to be thankful. And here's the story that, that there's some unthankful people. Let's get into this. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And I wonder what this was like mentally for him, knowing that 33 and a half years have gone by. He's about to be crucified. This is just days before his crucifixion where he would be beaten severely um, and, and hung on a cross and just die a brutal death all for you and I because he loved us that much. So this is what he was born to do. And as he was traveling toward Jerusalem, okay, it was he's going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Because if you don't understand leprosy, if you don't understand what, where their situation was, you may not think a whole lot about it. It wasn't like they just had a flat chariot wheel and said, hey, Jesus, we need some help. We know you know how to fix stuff. This is leprosy. This is a disease that you would become an outcast of society for having. There's different levels of it. The Hebrew word here was, was, was leprosy, but it wasn't necessarily meaning the kind that makes your face fall off, but it doesn't say it's not either. Either way, when you had leprosy, okay, if something showed up and, and you had a skin disease, you would go to the priest, you'd show the priest and they would look at it, they would analyze, anal, analyze it, give you an analysis. Uh, it's the Pentecostal in me that's struggling over words. And they would look at it and they would, they would basically quarantine you. And there was a fear with these people that it could get progressive. It got progressive. That means you got outcast, okay? And if it was progressive, you came back and it was still there and growing, the priest would say, okay, you are unclean. You can no longer be around people who don't have leprosy. You would have to leave your wife. You would have to leave your kids. You have to leave your job. You would have to leave your home. You could no longer go to any weddings or birthday parties. I mean, you were completely an outcast of society. You would have to live in a leper colony. And so when we see this, these 10 men that are standing away because they couldn't get 
a certain distance from people that didn't have it. If they came in, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Which, isn't it great when you can come to a church and you don't have to yell, unclean, unclean, when you sinned this week? That might be a way to keep you all from sinning. Like if you sinned, you have to yell, unclean, unclean, I blew it this week. All right, the church would empty. Yeah. Okay, I wouldn't show up. I'd have to stay out in my car. All right, we'd go online only. But they'd have to yell unclean. So this was a serious, serious deal. This wasn't, again, just, hey, Jesus, I just need you to do something. This is a complete life change, life-altering event where you would get outcast if you had leprosy. So I need you to have that in your mind. Is these, the intensity that these guys are asking they know that Jesus has what they need to be healed. And so the 10 of them are just yelling, Jesus, please, please have pity on us. Have pity on us. In verse 14, it says, when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Again, the priest could say, it's gone. You're clean. They would give you a bill of clean health and you could go back to your life. And it doesn't say how long these guys have been away from their families or how long they've been in a colony. But this is, a, again, a big deal. And as they went... They were cleansed. So they're on their way to the priest. They're on their way to get their clean bill of health. And they were walking along. And, and I don't, again, I don't know the levels of leprosy. I don't know if a guy didn't have an ear, you know, and, and they're walking along. And all of a sudden he's like, George, your ear's back. I, I don't know what was happening here. But I will tell you this, that their visible leprosy began to get healed as they walked, as they did. Now, I want to point out all 10 were obedient. All 10 did what Jesus asked them to do. And they received what they asked for. This is a big deal. So they go show themselves to the priest as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now he had got a clean bill of health. He can now touch people. He can now be close to people. And he was thankful. And Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? except this foreigner. And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. They're healed. Can I say that Jesus was bothered by the fact that the nine weren't thankful? Yes. That this bugged him? That he asked three questions kind of in a negative way toward the nine that didn't show up? Something that Jesus took the time to do and he offered something that changed their life completely Again, this wasn't just fixing a flat tire. This was life-altering, and only one came back to say thank you. And it makes me feel pretty good that it actually bugged Jesus at their unthankfulness because there's a lot of unthankful people at times in my life, right? You're like, man, you need to say, what was the deal? I did this for you. You've been there? Like, you done it, and you're like, come on. Like, I didn't honk at you when you cut me off. That was, you should be thankful that I didn't react to your stupid driving. Um, no, we, we have this thing, but when, some, when people aren't grateful, it bugs us, and it's okay to be bothered. Again, all, all obeyed, all were healed, but only one came back. Unthankfulness for what he did for them bothered Jesus, and we've all been there. So if ungratefulness bothers Jesus, what do you think puts a smile on his face? Thankfulness, right? When we're thankful. So we need to approach Christmas, um, the season, with the perspective of what we have, not what we lack. Okay, commercials, every commercial you see is appealing to what you don't have. It's not what, it's what you don't have. Commercials are really good at that. Oh, here's something new. Here's something you need. Here's something, oh, I don't have that, or I don't have that color. I don't have that style. I don't have this. They alter it to appeal to what you think is a lack in your life. And, and I call this the Eve syndrome. And every single one of us have this at one level or another, unless you're really mature as a Christian and you've overgrown. I call it the Eve syndrome, and, it, and it's, 
there's got to be more. Like Eve was in a perfect environment with a perfect man. Everything at her disposal except for one thing. And what was the one thing that she chose to eat? It was the one thing that God said, don't. Why? Because Satan appealed to her lack. Oh, God, oh, God's holding out on you. She's like, really? Yeah, because there's one here. And, and I know you have everything else, but, but look at what you don't have. And that's what she ate. And that's what Adam ate. And all of us have a tendency to fight that. And so we have to counter that in order to not ruin Christmas. It seems to me like the more we have, the less we're satisfied. The more we give people, especially our children, the more they want. It just, it just seems to happen. It's like this human nature thing. I think Cindy Lou Who has it right. And if you haven't watched The Grinch with the Jim Carrey one, she has it right. She figures out that this, there's all this craziness, and that's really not the meaning of Christmas. I wish they'd have brought Jesus into the story, but, but she, she figures out that it's not about all the stuff. It's not about the presents and the gifts. And sometimes, does your life feel like The Grinch? Like just go, 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 when we should just be calming down? So I have a theory, and, and I, I want you to practice this on your kids, and then next year we'll see if it works. So to create appreciation for Christmas of 2023, I need you to create a lack for Christmas 2022. So just create this lack to say, Pastor Sam wanted us to test this on you. This is just in beta form, but he, but he wants to know that if we don't give you anything this Christmas, if we'd be more appreciative of the thing you get next year. Just have a family meeting, say, what do you guys think about that? And your kids would be like, well, Pastor Stan's always right, so let's try it. Right? But I think you do, right? We appreciate usually when we lack. So my goal is not to take the fun out of giving because Jesus said this in Acts 20, 35. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, don't, don't read this for what it doesn't say. It doesn't say it's not blessed to receive. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. He's not saying that receiving is not fun. Receiving is fun. Receiving is fun. When you especially get something that's useful, like for me, I like a useful gift. I usually it's tools and they usually start with a D and they're yellow in color and have a little bit of black on them. And the last part of it is Walt. Yeah. Uh, Just saying, good tools are good tools, all right? So he didn't say there's no blessing in receiving. It's just that it's more fun to give. And again, and if, if, if it's not more fun to give for you, you have some maturing to do. Like if you're just, no, just take, take, take. Just, I, just, I just want to get, I want to get. I really don't want to give, but I want to get. You need to grow up. You need to mature because something's wrong with you. Yes, I said that online, all right? If that's, if that's your thing, it's all, about, it's all about me. And that's not what God wants us to be. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So I want to MGFA. And that is make giving fun again. We'll get hats, all right? I want to make giving fun again. So the Bible has some instructions regarding giving. All right, you ready for the teaching part? All right, let's get into the, this, the, what the Word says about giving. Uh, tithing and giving, we're not talking about tithing today. Tithing is 10% of your income. All right, make it simple. 10% of your paycheck. And then if you get a tax return, 10% of that. All right, because people could super complicate tithing. Tithing actually means 10th. And so it's a biblical form of giving as we tithe, we give 10% of our income. Um, it goes to our, our church facility, it goes to our pastors, it goes to what we need spiritually. So that's different than actual giving. Tithing, you don't set the amount, okay? You can't tithe 5%. Why? Because tithe means 10, all right? It means 10, it's already set. So we're not talking about that. If you're not tithing, you should tithe. God will bless you for it. I absolutely promise you that. We're talking about giving, all right? So... Giving is really important, okay? Second Corinthians chapter 9, 
Uh, 6 through 15, the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions on giving. And again, this is going to help you, especially in the Christmas season, because I don't, I don't want you to leave this thing going, I'm obligated to give everybody everything they want. What my heart today is, as your friend, as your pastor, is to set you free in how you think. Because as we approach Christmas, you think, well, I got to give everybody, okay, and then it becomes obligation, and obligation is no fun. And so the Bible has a lot to say about this, and I love it. Because the Bible is very clear. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. There's a church there. And, and they, as he's coming, they provide for him so he can preach the gospel and not have to get an outside job. Now, he worked when he needed to. He, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. That's what he did. And I've, I've painted houses. I've done some construction, uh, you know, when the church wasn't doing great financially. So being willing to work is really important. But what they did is they were setting aside some money uh, to be able to pay him when he came. And again, continue to help plant the churches. So he says this, okay, right before he gets into this scripture, he says, then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. He didn't want them to help him grudgingly. He didn't want them to go, here you go. You ever given grudgingly? Like all of us have, right? Pretty much every bill we write is, is grudgingly given, okay, IRS or house taxes, whatever. But here's what he says. Remember this, it's important. He says, whoever sows sparingly or whoever plants seed, that's what sowing means if you're not familiar, whoever plants sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you plant one kernel of corn, uh, one kernel of corn, <laughs> one, one kernel of corn. <laughs> this is great. Uh, all right. If you plant one kernel of corn, what are you going to get? 15 stocks or one stock? One stock, and usually it has three ears of corn on it. I mean, there's, there's a multiplication. But if you plant a lot of kernels of corn, you know, you know where this is going. So if you plant sparingly, he's like, you'll reap sparingly. But if you plant a lot, you'll reap generously. Each man should decide, or, I'm sorry, let me start over. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Again, this is talking about giving. This is above and beyond our tithe. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful He's giving you permission here to give what you're comfortable with, to say, you know, I don't, I don't have to overdo this. I don't want to under this. And I want to have a, a, a cheerful heart and I'm going to make a decision in my heart with my spouse or whatever. Say, hey, what do you feel comfortable with? Um, and I'm not going to do it reluctantly or under compulsion. He's almost saying if you're really reluctant about it or it's compulsive, just don't do it. Because God wants our heart to be in it. Now, we can give and it hurts sometimes to give. But we know it's the right thing to do. But what he's saying here is God wants us to be cheerful in our giving. He goes on to teach this lesson. It's a little wordy, so, so be patient. And, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, who's our supplier? God. It's God, right? It's not the business you work for. All right? it, 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 and I had to see you say, well, I earn my own money. Well, who gave you the gift to earn your own money? Like it's God. God gave you the gift to earn money. He gave you different ways to do that. And we have to say, okay, the gifts I have, I'm being used. Yeah, I'm working for it, but God is allowing me to get this. And he says this, verse 11, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love that because there are some people in this life that, that, that they don't have the time, okay, to, to go and do, but they finance those who can so God has blessed certain people with that their, their service to God is giving. 
God has blessed them with finances, and, and they, will, they will fund things that happen. Because sometimes, here's what I think. I think sometimes people, the, the goers and the doers get a little more credit than those who have the money to send them. Yeah. And it's both and, right? Because if, if you don't have the money to go, you can't go. And so we have this, this, these different gifts and abilities, and so if you're the giver, don't feel guilty that you're not going on the missions trips and not doing this. You're funding that, and you're, you're fulfilling your place with God. There's other people that they, they barely get by, but somebody else gives them enough money to be able to go on a mission trip or be able to help uh, with, with people around with their need. But I love this. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And why does he say in every way? He's not talking about just money. You can be rich in joy and encouragement. You can do a lot of things. Um, and so, again, every day we have, we can make a difference in the life of God. He goes on to say, when you give, your giving will result in thanksgiving to God. Like our generosity creates a thankfulness in other people. And I want to be like that, all right? So here's a question I want to, I want to ask here. Should I give to people whom I know will not appreciate it? Now, I just got your attention. Like, oh, is the Bible talk about that? It actually does, all right? It does. It's a great question. Jesus addresses this in the book of Matthew. As I read this, I'm going to tell you my opinion on, on what I read here. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 6. He says, don't, now, he's not calling people dogs and pigs. Just, you know, he, he would call people vipers, okay? But, but he, he's, he's making a point here. He says, don't give dogs what is sacred. In other words, if you're having prime rib at Christmas dinner, don't give dog the whole prime rib. I don't do that. I give our dog the leftovers of a prime rib one time. Yeah, the whole bag was bad. The dog got its way into the house and the food hit the dog and we didn't have air conditioning in the first house we lived in in Meridian. And the dog had a stomach attack behind the fan that we had blowing into the house. So yeah, so this, this, is, makes, this is more real to me than to you, right? When I see this, this is a, this is a bad thing. Don't give, dog, don't give dog what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, Again, this is Jesus talking. They may trample them under feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So how I understand this is that Jesus is saying to be wise in your giving. In other words, don't give what's valuable to someone who won't appreciate it. And hopefully this helps you. There's actually a scripture because we look at the scripture, well, given shall be given. You know, if your neighbor asks for something, because we, we can get real religious on a lot of scripture to say, well, we're supposed to give to everybody who asks me. And Jesus is like, well, no time out. There is a point when you don't have to give if it's going to be unappreciated. Right. Like he's given us permission to do that. Again, going back to the story, was Jesus bothered or not by the nine who didn't return and say thank you? It, it bothered him. It bothered him. And I believe that if those nine came back and say, oh, Jesus, can you add this to my, can you do this for me? Well, how do you think Jesus would have reacted to that? I think anybody like, yeah, no, maybe the one, but you guys didn't even come back and say thank you. And now you want me to give you more? And it's amazing to me because that was a real story that really happened. The nine out of 10 did not return and thank him for something that he did that completely changed their life. And so again, I view this, this verse as Jesus giving us permission to be smart about it, all right? So if you have an entitled person in your life, you are not obligated to give them a gift, especially if you can't do it cheerfully. Like if you have, if you have children, and we're going with children because that's kind of what Christmas is, all right? If they're just entitled, and you know, you know, I'm going to give this a gift and they didn't appreciate really much I gave last year. You are not obligated to get them another one. Right. Give them just an empty box, like a little empty box that they can't crawl in and play, right? You, you're, you ever given a gift to a kid, a big gift, and they just play with the box? Yeah. I love kids like that. It's like, that's like non-materialistic, right? 
But people become entitled when everything is given to them, and we can actually create this in people. We can create little monsters by giving them everything. And then when they're a teenager, it'll come back on you. And when they're adults, it'll come back on you. So we can create this entitlement mentality. There are times that we can just say, no, I'm not going to do it. So Luke records Jesus is saying this. Let's go back to the giving. He says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What, what is he saying here? Here's, here's the the picture Jesus is painting. I want you to pretend that I have a, a giant cauldron up here of gold nuggets. And he's saying, give and it should be given to you. Now I'm going to say, okay, after church, everybody's going to line up and I'm going to give you some gold nuggets. And you have a choice. Which one do you want me to give? Like, which one do you want, you want me to scoop with? <laughs> the biggest one, right? Let's just be real here. No false humility. Well, pastor, just give me the one eighth teaspoon. Because, no. Now, we'd be like, I just kind of want the big one, right? That, that's, that's what we would choose. So he's, he's saying here, whatever you give, whatever you use to give is what you're going to get back. I mean, this is a principle of tithing. It's a principle of giving. I call it the law of the seed. What you plant is what's going to grow. So if you have this mentality of, well, I'm just going to give this much, God says, okay, that's fine, but I'm just going to give you that much back. But when you learn to go, well, if I give this much, then I'm going to get this much back. That works pretty good. But what I really love, I love people that say, forget the teaspoons. I'm going big, baby. I'm going big. Right. If I want to receive this, I got to give this. I, I can't just go, well, I'm just going to give God this much and then hope to get this back. That's not how it works. That's why the Bible says this is what you do in order to get something big. You got to give big. If you want something little, then just give little. But don't expect this when you give this. And a lot of times we approach life to that. And Jesus, I love it because he, Jesus is actually the one that is saying, hey, how you give is how you're going to receive. So when I turn my mentality to, you know what, I want to be known as a generous Christian. I don't want to be known as a snow shovel Christian, not an eighth of a teaspoon Christian. I want to be known as somebody who's generous and generous without expecting to get anything back. And I think that's when God blesses us is when you're, you're shoveling and, and you're like, Lord, I'm fine. I'm good. Even if I get a little thimble full back, I am good with just giving away because there is joy being able to bless somebody else, especially if they can't bless me back. Right. Like the greatest giving is when you can give knowing they cannot pay you back. That, there's a generosity in that. Right. And so our motive is I'm not giving to get, but when we give out of the right heart, getting is natural. It's the seed. It comes back and God blesses us. It really is. It's a heart issue. So I want to close with how to have a stressful Christmas season. Sometimes you have to know what causes it in order to not go that direction. All right. Let's talk about money. Now, I got my view of money from my parents. All right. Um, Mom and dad uh, taught us, you know, investing and, and dad helped me with, you know, with money management. When I was a kid, when we got our allowance, we tithed on it. Like we got a dollar, we had to, we had to give a dime. It was this thing, the collection plate came around, we put a dime in, it was very, very tangible. And so we were taught tithing, okay, as kids from a young age. So for me, it, it's not hard. Now, if you're newer to Christianity or newer to tithing, you're like, whoa, 10%, that's, that's like a lot. But I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God's word will come back and it will be true. Like when you tithe, God will bless you. You will see things happen in your life and, and you'd be like, it worked. I've had so many stories where people started tithing. They'll come back a week or two later and say, Pastor, I, I can't, this happened. 
This, I got a raise or I got a better job. I mean, it, there's, I, I've never had anybody come back and say, Pastor, I started tithing and I just got evicted and even made my house payment. I can't figure it out. No, it's, it's, it's 100%. When God's word says it, it's going to take place. So tithing really is a matter of trust. It's not really a money issue. It's a trust issue. Uh, it, it's odd, again, I've said this before, that I can trust God with eternity, but I can't trust him with my money. I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? So again, if you haven't tithed, start doing it. I promise you, three months, you will see something happen. You will, all right? Now, I say tithing with wise spending. Now, you could be like, well, I tithe, and then I got three more credit cards, and now I have all these bills. Well, that's on you. Yep. I mean, you still have to have wife spending. All right, number one, how to ruin Christmas. Spend money you don't have. Spend money you don't have. Here, here's my question. Who enjoys debt? Like, just, and you just enjoy debt. Like, you, you okay, no first service takers either. Who enjoys high interest debt? I don't see no hands online. Don't see no hands online either. Nobody likes debt, okay? I want to show you what debt is like. Let's say the debt is like a bag, right? Now, this bag already has some debt in it. It's a brick, and bricks are heavy, right? It's a weight. And let's say that you want to go shopping, and you don't have money, so you pull your credit card out, and, you know, wisely, you use your credit card because you don't have the cash. You, you add to the weight of life and you feel really good about it for about 20 minutes till you get home and you're like did I really need it that bad and you feel okay about it until you get the statement at the end of the month and if you're anything like me you're like how did we spend this much money usually it's five or ten bucks at a time right now my wife and I don't have debt all right we're completely debt free we don't have credit card debt we use a credit card for mileage but we pay it off every month we don't make, there's, there's, there's no minimum payments. But on the bottom of the credit card statement, it's always fascinating to me. And it says, if you make the minimum payment, this is how long this will take you to pay off and how much you're going to pay. Yeah, it's, it's years and it's about triple the amount of the purchase. So here's the smart thing. To create stress in your life, go ahead and just keep adding debt to buy gifts for people who probably won't appreciate it anyway. And you'll feel really good about Christmas. And then by the time next year comes around, you might have that credit card paid off to start doing it again. You see how this cycle can ruin you? Come on, somebody, talk to me, all right? De debt is heavy. And so I'm gonna give you some, some pointers. If you've already got debt, and here's the, here's the thing, well, I already got debt, may as well get more. That's a dumb way of thinking. <laughs> well, I chopped one finger off. I may as well just go ahead and chop the other ones off. No, that's a, that's a bad way to think. How do we get out of debt? We quit spending money we don't have. Amen. Dad taught us, he said, you know, how you, how you save money is you spend less than you make. It's a simple process, but it, he ingrained it into us as a child. You spend less than you make. You tithe and you spend less than you make. And it worked, okay? So most of you didn't have a dad or, or mom and dad to teach you that, so I get to be your dad and, and help you with these things, all right? Weight is heavy. Number two, again, go further into debt. Again, buy gifts for people who may not even appreciate it. This sounds silly, right? It sounds good. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. And yet we do it. Now, why do we do it? And here's number three. We give out of obligation or guilt or fear of what they'll think about you if you don't buy the gift. We have this fear as humans of, well, what if our kids, you know, what if they, they, they lack and they don't get what they want for Christmas and then they're going to end up in therapy? If you keep doing this, you're going to end up in therapy. 
<laughs> you're you're going to be the one in therapy. And so we have to, to change our thinking that, okay, I can't give out of obligation or guilt or fear and go into debt over it. And if we do that, the gift becomes about you and not them, which leads me to number four. Now, I just, I made all these up. Number four, I call it cool parent giving. You give because you want others to think better of you. That's not giving, that's competition. And that's not what the season is about. And we fall into this trap. Well, if I give this and I can tell my friends, well, I bought this for my kid or I bought this, I bought this. It becomes this cool parent giving thing. And I don't think that that honors God either because we're not giving really with the right motives. If we're giving to get accolades from somebody else, that's the wrong gift. That's the wrong way to give it. It's really not a gift, okay? Is this making sense? Should I put my shirt and tie back on because I'm serious, Stan, right now? Um, okay, then I can be fun, Stan, again. All right, credit card statement, right? Percentage rates, minimum payments, right? The best thing you could do is not spend money that you don't have. Now, when I was a kid, credit cards really weren't a thing. They, they, I think they started coming out kind of in the 70s and not everybody qualified. Now they're sending them to 14-year-olds. <laughs> Here, have your parent co-sign. Uh, don't co-sign. <laughs> now, unless your kid's responsible and they're becoming an adult and they don't have any credit, then you can co-sign on a, a small credit card, even if the limit's like $3,000 or 1500 You can build credit that way, but you better guard that sucker. Like they have to use it. They have to pay it off. That's how my son's doing it. He uses it. He pays it off. But it's building a credit rating because if you don't have any credit, you don't get a credit rating. You can't get a loan for a house. <laughs> of course, these days you can't get a loan for a house anyway, but that's beside the point. All right. So how to have a less stress Christmas. Uh, there was a thing. Remember layaway? Remember layaway? Yeah. Before credit cards? <laughs> You're like, I just want a brick for Christmas. How much is the brick? It's 25 bucks. 25 bucks! Yeah, inflation. All right. But I really want this brick. And here's what I couldn't do. I didn't have a credit card. I had nobody to lend me money. I didn't have a thing of plastic. I had to pay cash. And so they, what they would say was, well, I can put this brick on layaway. I can put it behind the counter, just peeking, okay? And, and you can make payments on it. You can come into the store, literally pay them cash or a check. And, you, and, and, um, and when you finally reach the, the total, they would give you your brick. That was called layaway. We don't do layaway. We, we, we do, I want it now, and I have a credit card, so I'm going to use it now, I'm going to get it, and then I'll pay for it later. But pay for it later, you pay for a lot more right. for it later. So if you don't have the cash, don't spend it. Less stress. Number one, might sound cliche, keep Jesus the main focus. <laughs> That's what Christmas is about, right? Without Jesus, there is no Christmas. So Jesus and the gift that he gave to us, keep that the main focus. Number two, make a budget, stick to the budget. For me, I enjoy getting gifts for people. I just do. I like doing things for people. I enjoy getting gifts. It's fun uh, to give. It really is. Make a budget. Stick to the budget. If you are budget, then you budget. Let's say you have $500. Just pulling that out of the air. You have $500 to spend for Christmas. What's your budget? $500. Okay? Get cash out if you need to. That way, when you see that sale and you already spent your cash, you're like, well, I can put a little more. No, don't do that. I just want you to think. Mean Pastor Stan, mean Pastor Stan, mean Pastor Stan. He's going to put his tie on. He's going to chastise me. All right. Fun Stan, mean Stan. I get to be dad some to some. I don't want you to go into debt because debt is heavy. And so if you have just cash and you're disciplined with that, then you can't overspend. Once your cash is gone, your cash is gone. So how do I make a budget? How do I stick to a budget? Again, using cash is the best way. Here, here's what I would like you to teach your kids to teach them how to budget, 
give them cash, right? If you're going to give them some money for Christmas, this is just an idea. This is like, I don't know if it's totally unspiritual. I think it's very practical. And sometimes the most spiritual things are the most practical. To teach your kids how to budget, give them an envelope with, with 10 $1 bills. So you have $10 to spend for Christmas. That way it's tangible. Okay, I'm giving it to you. That's a gift. And so I would like you to tithe on it. So you give God a, get a, give, give God a dollar. So when you go to kids church or whatever, put it in for missions or whatever. Okay, give, give the dollar. Then you have nine. And then when you take them to the store, because here's what happens. If you take them to the store and you use your credit card, they don't see any loss. Like they don't see it. But if it's in an envelope and they see that, okay, what I bought is going to cost the ones. And then look in an envelope. It's like, there's only two ones left. That's budgeting. And it will teach them the next time if maybe they didn't really need what they bought. And that's how they learn. But if it's, it's got to be tangible. It can't be credit. It can't be, well, I'm deducting this from your account. If it's cash, then they can see it. And, it's gone. and I'll tell you, it's harder to spend cash than it is credit, isn't it? Amen. Like you, got, you give cash, you're like, I just don't want to buy that. But for somehow a credit thing, you can throw it on there because there's not this immediate deduction that you see. Number three, if funds are tight, have a family meeting. Have a family meeting. Get the kids together, get together and say, guys, you know, it's been a tough year. We've had a car breakdown. We've had this happen and we just don't have the money to spend on a lot. Okay. And so what can we do, right, for a fun Christmas? What can we do as a family? Again, we don't have the money to spend and you guys don't want me to go into debt, do you? And they're like, yeah, I want the iPhone, right? They don't care about your debt. Let me tell you that. Right? If you have a child that stresses about your credit card bill when it comes in, you have a good kid. If they don't care, then it's, that's probably an entitled thing, right? They don't feel the pain of it. But sit down as a family and have a meeting of this is what we have. What can we do that's fun? I will tell you that memories are going to be more important than what they get for the gift. Most gifts, they won't remember. I, I do this. Sit down with your kids this week and say, okay, write down all the gifts that you got last year and see how many they actually write down. And I said this to first service. And if you're 50, you won't remember what you got them last year. So you hopefully, hopefully this does all right. Okay. There are days that I wake up on a Monday and went, what did I preach on yesterday? Um, it's true. Number four, okay, do something to give as a family, okay? I would suggest this. I would say that if you can give your kids $20 each, okay, depending on how big your hoard is, uh, give, give them some money, $5, okay, and, and $5 bills. This would be a fun Christmas thing to do. Get envelopes that say Merry Christmas on it. Put $5 bills in the envelope. Okay? Drop them off at Walmart. Say, I'll see you an hour. Go find a stranger to talk to. No, don't do, don't do that. You're like, what? No. Take them to a store. Take them to Walmart or Family Dollar, wherever it is, and say, okay, I want you to pick someone out. Okay, let's say your kid's name is Johnny. Johnny, want, we got five bucks in an envelope. I want you to go just look, look around and say, who do, you, who do you want to give $5 to? It might be a little kid. It might be an elderly person. It might be Pastor Stan. Um, I'm only accepting hundreds, by the way. Um, no. And, and, and say, go bless somebody. And just go say, Merry Christmas, and then run. Because if you give money, what I found is people aren't always apt to take cash. But if, but if it's an envelope that says Merry Christmas, and you say Merry Christmas, give it to them and take off, they are going to totally remember that. Totally remember that. So that's something that's really practical, I think, that's easy to do. And, and I believe that when your kids get older, they'll remember that time, that mom and dad dropped us at Walmart for five hours and left us and we gave money. Okay. Stay within sight of your child. Some of you take me too serious. You're like, okay, drop them off. And <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I've said some things before that I was being sarcastic and people took me serious. And I was like, no, I... I, I 
No. <laughs> All right. So no one I'm joking when I'm serious. But do something to give as a family. And maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's something else. But that's just one way that you can build memories of giving. And I, will, I promise you, your kids will be like, that felt good. That felt good. It felt good to give. And we'll be proud of our kids for doing that. All right. There's no better way to teach budgeting to me than cash. All right. Why? Because you see it disappear. So what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? Have, have you accepted him as your savior? If so, you're on your way to heaven. Now we just battle our way to the end. We get through it uh, and, and we just, we're thankful. We wake up thankful. Yeah, we're going to have stressors. You're going to have things this Christmas season. Uh, can I tell you a word that you need to say to yourself? Just say the word no. Just let me hear you. Just say no. And some of you are like, no, I, I tricked you, right? No, don't say no, but you said no. How many of you have a problem with saying yes too much? Just lift your hand up. Mine's, mine's up. How many of you have no problem saying no whatsoever? Lift your hands up. All right. Those are the ones that should be preaching now. Um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older to learn to say no, to know where your body's at physically. Like this will emotionally or physically drain me if I see a yes to everything. You have to, you have to also budget your time. You also have to budget your emotions, right? And so there are certain things that you're just going to have to say no to. There's going to be Christmas parties, your birthday parties, your invitations, that it's okay to say, I, we just can't do that this time. Because saying yes to everything just drags you out. And what I have found is, it seems like we have these, we call them the holidays, but they turn into these stress-filled months. Like people are like, I just can't wait till the holidays are over. That's kind of the opposite of what a holiday is, right? So we can govern some of that by learning how to say no, by being generous, by doing what God has asked us to do. But I will tell you this, that everything I taught you today means nothing if you are not saved. It means nothing if your life with Jesus is not right. If you have never accepted Jesus, that means you've rejected the gift that he has given us. And the Bible says that hell awaits those who reject Jesus. Like if we don't accept the gift he gave, we pay for our own sins on the cross. And that's not what God wants. God, he made it so easy for us to give our lives to him. And if you've never made that decision, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you believe in God and you believe in Jesus, but maybe you have never been in a church that said, no, you need to repent of your sins, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and that's what gets you saved. And that hopefully that makes sense. And so if you would bow your heads with me just for a moment, because I don't want anybody to leave this place not having the opportunity to really know what Christmas is about. But if you need this forgiveness I've been talking about, if you want to go to heaven and you've never made this, this commitment to him, you've never prayed this prayer and you want to, I'm just going to ask that you just lift your hand up where I can see it. Say, stand this to me. I need to, I need to give my life to Jesus. I don't know a lot about it, but I understand and I believe what you're saying is true, that I need to repent of my sins and give my life to him, get forgiven in order to go to heaven. That's the, that's the gift. That's what Christmas is about. And so anybody need to make that decision? Just lift your hand up. I'm not going to take a long time. I'm not here to, to pressure anybody. Okay. Look at me. That means we're all on the same train, right? Or you're in total denial, okay? Now, if you were too scared to, if you're like, ah, I don't know, please do it by the end of the day. Right? Just give your life to Jesus Christ. Right? What do you have to lose? 